I know you've seen it on YouTube or Instagram. You may have read it on LinkedIn or heard it at one of the small business conferences. You know that GovCon 101 information series about what to do when you find an opportunity that was made just for your business? Create a custom capability statement or write a proposal response followed by some generic description of what to do. Or maybe you read or heard that a proposal is not even required. Just shape the opportunity using a set aside for direct award or pursue opportunities that don't require a proposal, they say. Even more recently, with the awareness and popularity of AI, I wouldn't be surprised if the allure of using ChatGPT didn't cross your mind. However, with all the noise around what to do for proposals, what is the right information you should use and how do you make it actionable and effective for the needs of your business so that you can win contracts? Welcome to Unveiled, GovCon Stories, where we explore the experiences and share the stories of small businesses in government contracting to spotlight the often sugar-coated or avoided discussions that speak to the reality of doing business within the U.S. public sector as a small business. On this episode, we're joined by Joy Founts, founder and president of Founts Associates, LLC, a minority woman-owned small business providing management consulting services to the government contracting community, providing flexible and scalable consulting in support of operational research and business development efforts. Joy has 23 years of corporate experience, including 17 years of federal contracting knowledge and expertise. She has served in roles of varying responsibility across the spectrum of federal contracting from business development, corporate contract oversight, and direct customer support. Her domain experience includes information technology, engineering, healthcare, public relations and marketing, and government public-private partnerships. Ms. Founce's government contractor experience includes program management support for a joint Department of Defense and Department of Homeland Security Working Group and IT project portfolio management support at the CIO level of a civilian agency. As the leader of Founce Associates, Joy has successfully managed the capture of large strategic bids for small businesses in the federal space. Her clients have submitted winning proposals for multiple GWACs, BPAs, including several scorecard-based procurement. Ms. Founts has built strong teams for small and large procurements with a focus on small businesses for their adaptability and pricing advantages. She earned a BA in political science from James Madison University and an MA in international commerce and policy from George Mason University. Joy is Shipley trained in proposal management and writing and has also been through price to win training and Miller Hyman strategic selling. Fun fact. Her great aunt was one of the first African-American women honored by the state of Georgia by having her portrait hung in the Capitol. Also, March Madness is her favorite holiday season. Who knew? Thank you, Joy, so much for being brave, pulling back the curtain, and sharing your GovCon story with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So what's your GovCon story, Joy? It has been diverse and interesting. It has been a Mr. Toad's wild ride and I would not have it any other way. I have had the opportunity to touch a lot of things in a lot of spaces, meet some incredible people, but there have just been a couple of experiences I've had that have really clarified for me what I want to do with the work that I do with my clients. And in particular, I'm thinking about one of the toughest bids I ever worked that really highlighted for me what it means to put together a strong proposal response and what it means to actually do the work to win. This was a bid that 
we had very little upfront work from a capture perspective. It was one of those bluebirds. The capabilities looked amazing. It was a stretch opportunity for the team, but it was definitely one where a bit more insight into the customer would have been helpful. We didn't have a technical solution that was as developed as we would have liked. And the teammates weren't always on the same page with what was required for the response. Ultimately, as we started through the review process, we got eviscerated at Red Team. It was a bloodbath. It was, it was very brutal. And at that, at that point, in an attempt to recover, we were doing things at the time, which was the equivalent of AI for us, Google University. We were on Google researching specific engineering processes and procedures that align with the very specific requirements that this particular government customer had. And that, for me, getting that bid in was a win in and of itself. The debrief following was an eye-opening experience, to say the least, and has been one that has stuck with me throughout my career. And I have referred to that many, many times when I've gotten into tough situations with clients and tried to work with them on a path forward to get around it. Thank you for sharing your story. And, and again, welcome to, to the podcast, Joy. Um, so admittedly, I'm, I'm somewhat oversimplifying this, but when we we talk about going after work, and especially given the example that you just gave us, there's the school of thought of, obviously, everybody wants to, to build a company. They want to scale. They want to grow. In government work, there's not too many paths to get there. There, there are a few, and I'm going to oversimplify it to, for the purpose of our conversation to really two schools of thought. You do proposals. It's the traditional way. You ideally have done some capture. You've got some business development folks on the ground. You go about your way. You follow the traditional proposal process. The other school of thought is, especially for a small business, that maybe your time is better spent doing micro-purchases, simplified acquisitions, direct awards, trying to carve out set-asides. Um, and in your worst case scenario, maybe even leaning maybe a little too heavily into AI, to to get you across that finish line to get something that you know a customer can then use to try and do a direct award. So you know for the purpose of for the purpose of the conversation, we're looking at those those two paths right now. We want your feedback, your thoughts as we kind of dig into this with that in the back of your mind. Of is it worth it? Do you jump into those proposals? Do you even need to do proposals in the traditional sense, or is that kind of like? going by the wayside. I mean, we talked, we're, we'll talk about scoring. We'll talk about a lot of different things, but is it is it really needed, especially for a small business that maybe doesn't have the capital to invest yet? So we really want to start, start there and kind of jump in like with the foundation. Do we even go down this path as a small business? Is, are there other paths? I think that there are. So to be, to be completely transparent with you and your listeners, my experience has been more of the traditional path. So what people describe as sort of the standard Beltway process inspired by Shipley and other organizations like Red Team Consulting that have provided uh, a fairly standard and repeatable process that works. Could you go with um, directed awards? Yes, if you hit certain socioeconomic categories. Could you explore sort of some of the other more prototype focused programs like SIVRs or STTRs? 
Yes, but at the end of the day, you are going to have to present to the government a coherent plan for how you're going to solve their problem, regardless of what they're purchasing. So you're not going to get away from providing a response of any type. That's just how the FAR is structured. They have to have something to evaluate and score against or critique or just line up with whatever their internal procurement process is. So to answer your question, yes, there are multiple paths in. Can you avoid writing something or producing some kind of product that articulates what you're going to deliver? I don't believe so. Was that an alley-oop all day long? Of course I set that up and I appreciate you even bringing in the FAR component because most people, a lot of people, I think, push FAR off to their contracts folks and say, read it, make sure we're compliant because it's like 20 pages of things that people don't necessarily read. But then the, the moral to the story, I think that you really just hit on is that you're going to write something. It may not be a full-fledged proposal, but you're going to write something. Yes. And I did all the, the thanks for putting that out there because I can't tell you how many times we've had clients and we're trying to help them, you know, with just the process piece from identification through proposal on the back end. And we tell them, you know, oh, we're going to, you know, we're, we want to make sure to look at your proposal library, see how it's structured. Oh, I will. Well, we're not really bidding. And it's like, even if you're not bidding and I'm and I'm going to go there, even if you're writing the basic requirements for the, the statement of work, which never happens. Right. Right. We contractors don't do that. Ha ha. <laughs> Writing the requirements for the statement of work in order to shape that direct award or that set aside or whatever it's supposed to be, you have to write. You, you and you need it's better if you're set up and prepared to do that. So thank you, thank you so much for that piece. Now I I do want to kind of backpedal just a little bit because we do have a mixed audience that listen to the podcast and from new entrants to to GovCon to very experienced government contractors. And so just to set the stage, because we've thrown around a lot of terms with the BPAs and the SIBRs and the GWACs and the, did we say OTAs? But if we didn't, it's one of those. Yes, but it's it's coming. It would have come. <laughs> and we even talked about Shipley's and there's, you know, there's, of course, us old heads that have been in government. Whoa, 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 whoa. You know what? You you know you're an old head. Don't, don't, even, try. don't, don't even try. Don't even try. over a new leaf. In GovCon, we know what those things are. However, some of our more junior, youthful, just coming, bushy, bright-eyed, green uh, GovCon, people may not know what those things are. And so at a high level, let's just describe what are proposals and what does that process look like? Involve, what's involved with actually developing proposals for government in, in the government contracting space? Okay. So I'm going to start at the very beginning, which we have to go back to the FAR. And that is the Federal Acquisition Regulation. And the reason I bring this up is that the majority, if not all, of the procurements that you will see out on the street from the with the government, direct awards, OTAs, which are other transaction authorities, BPAs, blanket purchase agreements, GWACs, government-wide acquisition contracts, all of those procurements fall under one or two or multiple or influenced by multiple clauses within the FAR. They are specified. They're 
the procurement process is outlined, the requirements are outlined, the FAR is the guideline for our contracting offices for how they can go about purchasing using that particular um, mechanism. The components of a solicitation, all of them are outlined also in the FAR. So when proposal professionals are speaking about sections A through M, in a solicitation, we are talking about specific sections that are outlined in the FAR. Now, that being said, the place that you begin with for preparing your response is always going to be a government-generated set of instructions. It could be as simple as a post on SAM that you have to print out the website from the website, or it could be a full-fledged solicitation that incorporates key components. And I would say that old heads old school proposal professionals like myself who were brought in and taught by the previous generation, we're going to refer to and focus on certain sections. And you'll hear names like section L, section M, section C, section H, and section I. And what we're talking about with those terms, section L are your proposal instructions. This is going to tell you how you're going to organize your response. It's going to tell you what should be included. Um, and it will tell you the rules of engagement, meaning how you're allowed to format it. What font are you allowed to use? How many pages are you supposed to use? If there are any special requirements for certain things that have to do with accessibility, like for Section 508, you will find all of those instructions in Section L or a section called Instruction to Offers. It is also sometimes noted as Section E. I don't know why. Section M are the evaluation criteria. They should align with the instructions. Sometimes they're a straight copy and paste, but they are telling you how the government's going to evaluate what you've provided to them. So the government likes to do an apples to apples comparison. They do not want apples and kumquats. They don't want apples and pomegranates. They actually probably don't even want fruit. But the bottom line is for them to be able to do their job efficiently and to be good stewards of our tax dollars, they have got to be able to compare bids across the across the spectrum and evaluate them fairly because the government hates a protest. Mm -hmm. We can talk about that later. That's a whole separate potential podcast discussion. Yes, it but section M tells you exactly what you have to, what, what they're going to evaluate, what they're looking for, how they're going to rate you. And so you'll want to incorporate that. Section C is typically your statement of work or your performance work statement or your statement of objectives if the government has gotten fancy with their procurement and really want to challenge you. But that's basically what services, capabilities, what tasks they are looking for you to complete. Sections H and I get into the contract clauses, and these are really the areas where most people send and ask their contracts professionals to focus on. However, as a proposal person, from a compliance standpoint, we have to be aware of what's in sections H and I, because sometimes the government sneaks in what we call those offerer shalls. So you'll see that the instructions and the evaluation criteria and the task areas are written saying offerer or contractor will or contractor shall. It's very contracts heavy language. And that is your clue for what they are asking you to do. 
But in sections H and I, sometimes there are things you have to include, whether it's a confirmation of compliance with certain clauses that need to be submitted as an attachment to your proposal. If it is an acknowledgement of a certain process, procedure, or policy that you need to write to. So you really need to go into, if you're looking for a quick way to orient yourself to the solicitation, start with prioritize those five sections. Now, the mean proposal manager in me is going to tell you, read the whole damn thing, because you have got to read the whole solicitation to really understand what the government wants. And that gets into one of those pet peeves that proposal managers have when everybody shows up to the proposal kickoff and nobody's read the solicitation. Mm -hmm. That does not win friends. No, it doesn't. And it makes for a very painful process. And a hard kickoff because where yeah. the kickoff could be a launching point for a discussion on what comes next, mm -hmm. still trying to get oriented and figuring out what's in there. And that's not helpful, especially when you don't have but 25, 21, 14, 10 days, and we're talking mm -hmm. 30 days, not business days, to turn around a response. It's a lot to get done. So you, yeah. need, to do homework and you need to be prepared. And it, and it also sometimes starts to swirl in conversation where people start throwing out ideas about things and they haven't even, you know, they don't understand just basic guidelines, T's and C's, mm -hmm. you know, compliance even the timeline, you yes. know, they have no clue. And then they're throwing things out because you start to talk a little, because it, it happens naturally mm -hmm. about the solution and how we're shaping things. People come up with those questions and you always got somebody like to hear themselves talk and bring some of that stuff up. So it, it causes a swirl and unnecessary swirl that can just, like you said, just start, start everything off on the wrong foot. I want to also ask, even though this is jumping from the process of doing a proposal mm -hmm. once the proposal is submitted what is like the expectation for how long it takes to get a response and what are the behaviors how should you carry yourself like in during that period in that time as a small like what what should you be doing while you're waiting for that response okay so there's going to be a very unsatisfying answer for this and if we're amongst friends the answer is the and government. Okay, the government's going to award it when they feel like it. <laughs> so, there's that. I will tell, like, for directed awards, it can, and or, and depending on the time of year, if it's closer to the end of the fiscal year where certain dollars have to be obligated, that award time from submission to here's your contract award notification can be shorter. Mm -hmm. um, if it is a larger, what we'll call a larger strategic procurement, meaning it's one where a lot of eyes have been. For example, something like a CIOSP4 that is a heavily sought after hunting license in the GovCon space. Those awards can take over a year. So there is no standard for when the government finishes their evaluation process it gets done when they get when they get it done. They may have questions. They may ask for information. So the first thing you need to do is stay on top of the portal where you submitted, if that was the re requirement for your procurement, or stay on top of your email. And it really should go to probably a fail-safe, more than one person. So in case somebody's on vacation and the government asked 
clarifying questions on your response or need you to extend your validity period, you can respond quickly um, because if you don't, you've signaled to the government that you're no longer interested in the procurement and they may toss you. So now you've wasted all that effort and could have won, don't know, because you're no longer in the hunt. The other thing is periodically, and this does not mean weekly, probably not even monthly, check in with the government. You can ask them, preferably via email, unless you have a relationship with them. This is a customer that you're currently doing business with, but periodically check with them to get the pulse of the procurement process, where they are. There's nothing wrong with that. But the one thing you need to hold on to is you just need to be patient. Because once that proposal is submitted out of your hands, it's you've let it go, it's going off to do great things, hopefully, and wow, the government, it's on them. And we have to wait for them to respond. And hounding them um, mercilessly every week because you are eager to do something is not going to is not probably going to be in your best interest and it probably also lends itself to thinking through some of your other bd activities because if you are that worried about one procurement you may need to increase the cycle of how many bids you're doing so that you are you have other things in the hopper you're not just putting all your eggs in one opportunity basket Excellent points. And I think patience is something we probably don't talk about enough because I think this entire process start to finish of owning a small business is one kind of recurring theme is patience. And we we do actually talk about it quite a bit when we're talking about the business development, you know, component as well as winning work and that it requires a lot of patience and time. But I mean, every element of this really is an exercise in patience and, and perseverance. Mm-hmm. Um I think for a kind of a round robin, if you will. So I think all three of us probably should weigh in on this. But my question would be, what is the most complicated and least talked about part of preparing for and responding to a proposal? Um, I have thoughts and opinions. I always have thoughts and opinions, Um, but I will not start. (laughs) So the question is most complicated, least talked about part of preparing and responding to a proposal. Joy, what are your thoughts? Deciding to no bid. Woo, that's a good one. That's, that's that's a good one. Tasha. Dang, so not ready. Um, at least not talked about, oh, how complicated it can be to do a good outline that is aligned with your compliance matrix. Okay, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I would, my vote is that the most complicated and least talked about part of preparing and responding for a proposal is the amount of work and investment that goes into all of the things that need to happen before the proposal is even released. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Before we even talk about writing anything, before we even talk about a strategy, yeah. I would say the least talked about, because people talk generally about business development, but they don't really like what you're really going for. Why are we at this? Why are we doing this? Who needs to be involved? What are we investing? How long are we investing that money? Do we know what our return on investment needs to look like before we even start the proposal? I feel like those conversations don't happen. We just jump in, we go, we do. And then the proposal comes out and most of the time we hope for the best unless you've got, especially as a small business where your budget's tight, I'd say that's probably to do it right. One of the most complicated and least talked about parts. Mm-hmm. That's my yeah, favorite. yeah, yeah. You hit the nail on the head with that one. And I I would definitely say that 
you know, a lot of companies also think that they don't think through some of the other questions around our competencies, getting more clarity on what actually exists within the agency that they're targeting and building that into their capture or that early, you know, research that they're doing in order to prepare for the proposal. Because it's always like those little things, like when you're writing and you just don't really know, are they a hybrid cloud environments or <laughs> it's or like culture, no or culture, culture. Yep. 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 So just getting those, especially when it's like an agency that you're either newer to, or you're not in yet. And it's just, it just so happened to be an opportunity that really aligns well with your, your competencies and experience, but you don't really know the agency. So I would say also just to kind of segue us to a topic that I'm very excited about. And I, and I think is kind of inundating a lot of the small business conferences. I kind of have a love like, I won't say hate when it comes to this particular capability and the topic itself. I do have a love hate with how people are talking about this offering or the capability, which is artificial intelligence and specifically assistive AI with regards to proposal writing and solution architecting. And I say I have this love like because I'm 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 really excited. I get really excited about data and just being like structure and efficiency is is something that I I'm I get excited about. I can geek out on that kind of stuff. Where the love hate comes in is the conversations around the fear mongering associated with the capability and what it what it can do, what it brings, what it doesn't bring for especially small businesses that are in this space. There's a lot of options on the market and that are commercially available that provide these writing services, whether it's a grant or a proposal, and it's impacting vendors joy like like you, as well as small businesses who are trying to take on doing some of this stuff on their own or learning these platforms on their own. And I just want to talk about that a little bit. So what is your perspective on how these capabilities play in the reality of um, business today in the government contracting space for proposals? So I'm not afraid of AI. That may be because I'm just, I, I probably should be, I guess, if you were looking at it from a, this could potentially replace me perspective, because in theory, if AI became sophisticated enough, there's the potential it could write proposals for companies. You could just click a button and magically your compliant proposal shows up. But with the way that the tools that I've had an opportunity to look at and get demos from, and I'm actually evaluating as as a potential part of my proposal toolkit, I see AI as a tool to solve a certain problem that crops up in proposals. And that is when you set up the template and you've gone out to the lead writers, and a lot of times, particularly on the small business side, these are folks that are already billable. These are your engineers. These are your program managers. They are, they are your business analysts. They are your folks that are actually on the ground every day supporting your customers and are incentivized or encouraged or voluntold that they will be participating in this proposal process when you hand them a blank document that has a bunch of headers and requirements in it and tell them, I need five pages of content from you. 
It sounds great and very easy to do in a kickoff where everybody's excited and we've got a solution if that's what's actually happened and you've run the way you're supposed to. But if it's a bluebird and you're sitting there and- Even if it's not a bluebird, I've been there. I've got that. The shit sucks. It does. It does. And I can tell you as a proposal manager, I don't enjoy watching y'all struggle. I don't find that fun. But I will say- and I've watched the deer in headlights and I already know what's coming. Pink team's going to roll around. My deadline for your content is going to pass and you're not going to send me anything. And I have two options. I can turn into a mean girl and start chasing you down or and try to figure out what's going on. Or I can recognize up front that I didn't set you up for success and I didn't give you anything to work with except a blank document and tell you, I need you to get what's in your head on this document. What I have learned in the course of my career is that getting, meeting people where they are and giving someone prompts, whether it's developing your storyboards, if you're following true, staying true to the Shipley method or generally outlining what your response is. And this is why the capture work, the BD work is not just about having lunch with people and going to industry days. It is literally the starting point to set you up to write what should be not just a compliant, but compelling proposal. You've thought through the solution. You've talked to your teammates. You know why they're sitting at the table with you. And it's not just because they're your best friend or they served with you in the military. That can be great, but it's not gonna win every time. You can then start pulling in ideas. That's why you do have conversations ahead of time so that when you send out that template, you've got basically prompts, bullets, ideas, thoughts. So someone like Yaz now knows, one, hopefully she sat in a couple conversations with the rest of the team and understands that where her expertise fits in to the picture and how it impacts the rest of the visuals. And she now has a starting point to write. But where AI really can excel is moving to things like Teams or SharePoint. Once you start building out a really robust proposal library, that keyword search becomes onerous. It's very much like going to Google. You need those top hits to be on that first page. If you've gone to the second page of the Google search, what you want probably does not exist. Mm -hmm. So AI is a good place to start if you have that robust library to pull out similar solutions that you have offered to customers that you've been able to operationalize. And when I say operationalize, I mean... You've submitted, you've won, and you have good CPARs to prove that your solution actually works. And you can then use those as a starting point. Part of why I'm not afraid of AI is that one, nobody wants to write proposals. Yaz just proved that. Nobody wants to do this work. It takes a special kind of person to love proposals. And two- Enjoy, you are a special kind of person. I'm sorry, I, I had to just put it in there. I am, if you ask no, my she's special. She's you a ask good my kind of special. While she was still alive, she would tell you I am definitely special. <laughs> I was her special one. But it, you can't get to compelling. Mm-hmm. And compelling is what is the knowledge, the expertise, the excitement, the innovation that comes from having the folks on your team around the table, taking the time or on Zoom and brainstorming before the RFP comes out. It's why you pick Yaz. You don't just, you pick Yaz because Yaz is a brilliant solution architect 
And if you can give her the time and the space to, to do what she needs to, and I have worked with you, so I know what I'm talking about, that you can get better content and you can start from some place. But I don't see AI replacing that. It's mm -hmm. sort of like when you look at a masterpiece, a master artist painting, like a Picasso, and you look at a reproduction, somebody who's copied it. There is an element of feeling in the brushstrokes that you get from the original that the person who has copied it brought a different emotion to it. It's still a functional and beautiful painting mm -hmm. and it's a very good copy, mm -hmm. but it's not the original. And I think AI is very good at getting us to a good copy, but to make it a work of art, you still need the people involved. So that's why I'm not afraid of AI. I think it's just another tool to add efficiencies to a proposal process. And, and that's the key word right there is efficiencies because some of the nicer platforms that are out there actually help with like pulling out compliance matrices. And, and I'm going to caveat it, Joy, that you always <laughs> still have to have a human look at it because, you know, AI can dream and make things up and you want to, you always want to do, I know for true proposal heads, you want to make sure that you do your compliance upfront on your own manually because it helps you to understand and have yes. better knowledge about the proposal. But for a small business that's in a pinch and need to get something out and you may not have the funding, it is assistive in that efficiency and it may help reduce the time and the cost of getting certain things set up. So I do, I see the benefits there, but Joy, you did state it's, it's more about being assistive versus an end all is all. Another way is that some of them have point and click with making the entire proposal have active voice or having a certain, so there's like these certain things, little catches and stuff in proposals where I can see where a tool can come in and be helpful or useful, even with redundant talking words and things of that nature, it can help you, you know, get rid of that. So I, I'm, I'm excited about it. I do not like how there's the fear mongering though at a lot of the small business conferences. A lot of people talk about AI from the perspe perspective of a single platform and that's chat GPT. And we all know or have heard the word chat GPT and understand that, you know, it's a, a open AI founded tool or base tool and that there are potential uses for it. If you're using the free version, you know, use it to answer a question or, and it, and it's only, it only goes to what, 2022. I, I can't remember how recent the 21. data is, huh? 21. Maybe well, the one-on-one says 2022, but. The data sources at original release went back to early 2021 for public consumption. Gotcha. So there, so there's, there's benefits to it. You definitely, from a government contracting perspective, don't want to put, you know, your proprietary information in chat GPT. You don't want to put anything that's sensitive, any CUI or anything like that. That is just, I'm, I'm going to say it, it's dumb. You know, if you're offended by dumb, I'm sorry for you, but it's dumb. It's, you, you don't do that. We all, I think there's been enough conversations that we know that that's the case at this point. But I feel like there's a fear mongering that's happening at a lot of the small business conferences talking about AI from that perspective. And it could potentially cause small businesses who already have several bar barriers 
uh, to entry and doing things to miss out on leveraging a tool that can help them have more capacity to be able to be more successful in pursuing opportunities. So I just want to. I mean, Tasha, I think what it all kind of gets back to is efficiency. And we rarely have, especially in the GovCom world, conversation about efficiency without talking about cost. So at the end of the, not, not end of the day, but part of the broader kind of perspective is that you're looking at ways to do things better, do things faster at a reduced cost, or if not a reduced cost, you definitely don't want to increase your cost, but you want to increase either your volume or increase the effectiveness of what you're delivering or building or solutioning. And so with costs as such a predominant factor in the conversation, even when we're talking about proposals, um, Let's talk a little bit about how to mitigate the cost and time for a small business. Because I know some of our listeners have been down this road already. Some of you haven't, but hopefully in listening, you'll know that it's coming because it's almost unavoidable that you will invest in a proposal that maybe wasn't your best investment of time or energy, but you didn't realize that until, until you were at the other end of it. So we want to talk a little bit about some of those ways that you go into a proposal or go into an opportunity and know how to decide. For a lot of us, those are bid, no bids, or they're go, no, go decisions. And you've got a, typically a core team that weighs in on those decisions. And those usually are some stakeholders, some executive decision makers, those that have some sort of funding authority. Um, but for a small business, that may be one person. Um, right. So there's a lot of different kind of permutations of what that body looks like. But I think at the end of the day, we're all trying to do things a little bit better, a little bit faster, cost a little bit less, insert AI. So Joy, tell us a little bit about from, from your perspective, having been across so many teams and so many places and so many proposals, when sh should you or when should you not uh, take the time, the cost, the money to develop a proposal? When do you get those red flags in your mind that are kind of those, let's take a step back, reevaluate them and maybe make the decisions to not bid? Okay. I, th it's when your stomach starts to hurt. I don't know how else to say it. Or when your proposal manager starts asking you, are you sure you want to bid this? I mean, that's a, that's a huge red flag. When we're talking about proposal costs, one of the ways I talk to my clients about thinking about it is that the first time you invest in a strategic bid, it's going to cost more because you are building the foundation. I don't see any proposal effort having been wasted. There is always something you can do. So if you start looking at your proposal experience as building your repository, good, bad, or indifferent, every piece of content that you've created, whether it was a project description because you're a sub to a larger company, if it is a resume, a, ver a flavor of your resume or another member of your team's resume, if it is an approach to a technical response, all of that content, regardless of whether you won or not, has value. In some cases, it's going to be what not to do again because the government gave you feedback and it wasn't great, but it's a place to start or it triggers an idea of, I wish I could have done this differently. So I wanna say this up front. I don't want people going into proposals and think that if I write a proposal and it doesn't win or it's, it's not my best work, it has no utility because that doesn't really help you with that. That being said, when you are into a bid and you can't, articulate a solution, meaning you can't sit amongst yourselves and there's no one in the room who can say, 
based on this problem set for this customer, based on these tasks, this is how we're going to do it. Or you don't have past performance. If you don't meet some of the requirements and you can't team well or strategically in order to meet those, you need to consider no bidding. Saying no, even if you've gotten to red team in the, ex in the experience that I had, the worst proposal I've ever worked, we should have no bid. I should have recommended a no bid. It doesn't mean that the effort up to that point was not worth it or could not be used again, but I'm not sure that we did the team um, any favors by continuing down a path to submit a proposal that was compliant but not compelling and was not going to be well-received per the debrief. And I think that people recognize those signs earlier in the process than they'd like to admit, even reading the initial RFP, and it doesn't look like what you expected. There, it's a heavier lift than you planned. You don't have the resources to cover it. You really need to be honest with yourself and be okay with saying, this one isn't for us, but the efforts we've put in, we can use on something at a later date that's similar because the government tends to buy the same things over and over again. And we've all seen it with the copy and paste that we see in the RFPs that cause us to have to submit questions to ask him, did you really mean to reference this? Because that was five years ago. It's been superseded by X, Y, and Z. So I think it's having that bravery and being honest about what resources you have, the time you have to respond, and the wherewithal to do it, and whether or not you are going to feel good about the effort, regardless of the outcome. Those are things that you need to take into account when you're thinking about whether or not you want to invest. But if there are any red flags that you can't get answered or you know full well that you are not going to be compliant, I'm not sure as a small business, it's worth it to waste that effort. Mm -hmm. I would move it to something else that has a high, what we like to say a higher P win or has a, just a better, just has a better probability for you to, to, to have a, a better outcome. Yes. And I just wanted to also hit on you. You stated that regardless of what the outcome is, that it you don't see a negative for the most part with doing a proposal because you always either learn something from it and or build out your proposal library. And, and just as much as government tends to buy the same things as a company, your competencies aren't constantly shifting. And so- right the core of how you do certain things and your processes aren't going to change significantly. It's the scope and scale of how it's applied to the requirements and the need for the client that kind of shifts. So I agree with that as well on, on the inverse when we're talking specifically about the small businesses. However, some businesses, especially when they're just getting started, jump into proposal writing without having much training or whether you do the GovCon 101 federally funded type training that you get from the PTACs and the yeah. SBDCs and OSDBOOs and so on, the information that they share, or you bring in a consultant to help you, or you elicit you know, services from like Bounce Associates to help you do your proposal. When does it make sense to pay for support on a proposal? How, how do you vet services or what would you recommend to select a proposal consultant or a services company? That's a tough one because I think it's very proposals and selecting proposal consultants is a lot like dating. Not everyone's going to be the right fit 
for them. I know I am not, my team and I are not the right shop for everybody. We have a certain way of working. There are certain things that I like to prioritize. I am risk averse in certain areas and willing to take chances in others. So it depends on your, you know, the appetite for risk and where that lands with the client. One thing I would say, I would encourage someone to focus on when you're asking for outside help, be very specific and understand what help you need. I find good consultants have the ability to scale, meaning that if you just need someone to do a solid compliance review, they can offer that support to you. If you need someone to just help you get started, they can do that for you. Or if you need the whole thing and you need them to bring a ready-made proposal team to the table, they can do that. But they will ask you what resources you have available. They will be upfront and honest with you about what they can and cannot do. And above all, they will not promise you a win because I don't see that being feasible unless they're sitting on the evaluation board with everyone else. And at that point, we've gotten into some really weird and sticky things and you might want to walk away. But I think you have to be open and honest about what support you need. And then honestly, ask your friends. All of my work for the last 10 years has come through referrals. And I take pride in that because that means that I've done something right. People trust me and that they are willing to recommend me to other people. And I know that there are other good consultants that I've had the pleasure of working with that are also in that same boat. So somebody knows someone that they trust to work with them on their proposal. So if you are a small business just starting out, think about where you could use the most help so you get the biggest bang for your buck. If you know you can write the technical solution, but you just need someone to make sure that it's compliant, then that's the kind of support that you need to get. And that's what you ask your, your, your contacts for. I need a proposal manager who would be willing to just help me with compliance. Or just get your win things. Oh, you can't. <laughs> I had to. Did you hear that pain, y'all? She literally Ooh. stopped talking. She literally I, I just, she just stopped. <laughs> Nicely done, Sasha. Thank you. Thank you. My job is done. Yes. <laughs> that, that, that hurts me. <laughs> and that's only because a lot of people think that that's where you start with a proposal. And when themes are a destination, they are not the route. Mm-hmm. They don't think about that. I feel um, like I should put that on a t-shirt. A lot, at least in the DC area, people will get it. <laughs> yes. And that's my thing. When I talk about coming to a kickoff prepared and everybody's careful, what about the wind themes? Well, well, what are you, what's the solution? We don't have a clue, but we got people who are PMP. I can't throw a rock inside the, the beltway without hitting some company somewhere that's got a PMP on their payroll. It's not a differentiator. And that's, <laughs> it's, it's just not. It's and when themes, themes turn out generic, and they don't say anything. And I've learned this in working with some of the consultants that I've had the privilege of meeting, particularly this year, where they explain, if it can't be tied back to the evaluation criteria, the government's not going to read it. So those call-out boxes, all those fancy things. And I think that's something that you're, a lot of your listeners may think. They've been in proposals. They've worked at a large. They're out on their own because they are ready to do this for themselves as opposed to doing it for someone else. They've sat in on proposals. They've been a red team reviewer. They have a very narrow view 
of what happens in the proposal process, but they've heard all the lingo, but they don't really fully understand what it takes to get a proposal out the door until they've had to do one by themselves. And then they realize there are templates that have to be created. There are schedules that need to be adhered to. There is herding of teammates because they you ask them to do something and they don't respond on time. There is a lot that goes into managing proposals so that we can get to that 20 page document where we sat you down in the room and gave you free lunch so that you can tell us how horrible it is because we all know that's what most people come to Red Team to do. <laughs> and 80, 90% of the things you just listed, AI can't do. No, I, <laughs> I, I, I had, even if, even if it gets there, we're not there yet. Yep. No, no. I agree with that. And, and that's why I'm not, again, I think there is, I look at AI and this is really going to age me, but I look at AI as sort of going to the library in college and in grad school. It is just another database resource. When I worked on that one proposal, AI was what I was doing with Google. I'm looking at a very specific niche part of engineering and I need to under, one, I don't know what it is. So I have to go look it up to understand it so I can at least try to finesse something that reads like it. And that's what AI does. It just does it faster. It takes my keywords and gives me a better better starting point. But I'm I still have to take that and be able to help my clients shape it so that it fits with you're going to do this, but you still have to explain why it matters. You still have to explain how it solves the government's problem or what the benefit is to the government of, for doing this and why it's you're going to price it at this point. You don't mention your pricing in your technical, but you got to tie it too because if you are suggesting that you need a, a more diverse mix of junior, senior, and mid-level staff to complete these requirements. It helps to outline a solution that explains that you're going to have your senior people providing this kind of leadership and having providing this kind of expertise on an ad hoc basis to the government and your mid-level folks. You, you need to explain all that and tie it all together so that when the folks who are evaluating come together and someone says, well, the price was a little high, but the person advocating for you on technical can say, but we're getting all of this and it could cost more. They're able to make that case to the CO to say, yes, we need to make choose this particular offer because it does represent the best value for us. Because yes, it's the higher part of our, you know, our range for what we what we budgeted, but we're going to get so many things based on this on this response. And with that, we are about to round it out. And we want to get a little bit of information about what's going on, what's happening at Founce Associates. So Joy, tell us a little bit about what you got going on and how our listeners can find you. So Founce Associates officially has been in business for 10 years. And so that has triggered some thinking and introspection on my part. So coming in 2024, because that we are so passionate about small business, that is the customer space that we want to continue to support. We are rolling out new services targeted to new customers and they hit on those for those customers that need specialized support, whether it's just strictly compliance, whether it's strictly graphics, but we have some packages that we are rolling out that 
could be purchased on a credit card. We will we are going to set that up. But for new customers, particularly those that are coming into the market and really need help kind of building the foundation for proposals going forward. We're launching a new series of packages for new customers. We're going to continue with our tailored ongoing consulting for support. That's the full proposal shop access that our customers have come to rely on and expect from us. And then we're also going to start shifting into um, some training and some mentoring offerings later in 2024. So we've got a lot of work that we're doing behind the scenes to close out calendar year 2023. But 2024 will be the start of some new things. And you can read all about it on the website proposaltherapy.com or get to it from fontsassociates.com, the main company webpage. But we're looking forward to hopefully being to being in a position to support more small businesses as they pursue their work in the government sector. Well, the, all those things are so exciting. And um, I, for one, because I have had a sneak preview of some of those services I'm really excited to see how the market uh, responds to that. I'm sure it's going to be well well received. There's a lot of companies out there that definitely need that type of support. And I just want to thank you so much for being on because this topic is one of those topics that you hear a lot of communication about the what, but the how and substantive um, information about how to apply it for your business. And some of those things that aren't traditionally just talked about at the open conferences that we tend to go to, I think this is very much needed. And I really appreciate you um, coming in and giving us your story and telling us about the, you know, the lessons that you've learned over the, how many years? Enough. <laughs> Enough years. Over Enough 20 years. years. <laughs> Yes. And, and, you know, just understanding that, you know, like you said, when things are a destination and not the route, I had to say it because it's just a great statement. I do think it should go on a t-shirt. Solid capture, you know, it's more than tracking a bid through SAM, GovWin, or one of the other resources that's available that you have to actually put some effort behind structuring the questions that you're asking clients and understanding their environment, their culture, as y'all stated previously, as well as you know, what you ask your teammates to do needs to align with their capabilities and make sure that they have skin in the game. And because when push comes to shove on, on delivery for the proposal, you don't want to be sitting there, you know, holding the bag, but then you've already signed TAs with them and they're sitting there with their hand out <laughs> if something actually comes through and they didn't do anything. Now that, you know, we know how that goes, but you know, there's, we've had a lot of, of good topic talking points that we hit on in this and, you know, the the core theme of it that you hear overall is to propose, you know, or not to propose, right? That's the ultimate question. Sometimes you just need to know bid because that is what makes sense. That is what is the optimal thing and most cost-effective thing. But we also discussed how if you do bid, it's not necessarily a bad thing, you can always get a benefit from any type of proposal work that you do as a small business. One, you can learn what not to do, as Joy stated, or you can add to your proposal library because your competencies aren't shifting as much as you think they are. How your core of how you do certain processes are going to stay the same. And with that, 
Join and with that. Say thank you. Yes, I'm going <laughs> to say thank you <laughs> for joining us. I mean, I've worked with you directly um, and I've had the pleasure of working with customers that you've worked with as well. Um, can't say enough good things about you and your team and the work that you guys do. So really appreciate you uh, joining us. And thanks to our listeners for joining us on Unveiled GovCon Stories, a Hive 39 media production with our guest, Joy Founts of and the, who's the founder and president of Founce Associates um, and your host, Tasha and Yaz. Again, subscribe, share our podcast, follow us, share it with other listeners. And as always, we love feedback. So if you have topics that you're interested in us covering or would like to be on the, the, the podcast as well, shoot us a message um, and check out all of the show notes for additional information and links to the content we've discussed today. Um, we're toying around with an idea of how to create kind of a GovCon glossary because I think almost every episode we hit a laundry list of terms. So we're working on that too. And uh, really just appreciate everyone joining. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, everyone.